When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? It's Soren Baker, and today on Unique Access with Soren Baker, I'll be talking with MC Ren. Now, MC Ren, of course, is a member of NWA. You guys may have checked out the movie Straight Outta Compton, but I started listening to MC Ren back in the 1980s as a little kid, and then in the 1990s, I met MC Ren and became friends with him, and that led to me being able to speak with him for Unique Access with Soren Baker. During this conversation, Ren and I talk about his uh, early work with Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube with NWA. We talk about Ice Cube leaving NWA and the ramifications of that. We talk about the making of NWA's second studio album and a lot of other things in between. So I really hope you guys enjoy Unique Access with Soren Baker, the MC Ren interview. What's up everybody, Soren Baker here on Unique Access and today we got MC Ren. Thanks for letting us come through, Ren. No problem, bro. Yeah, man. And uh, Ren, you've obviously done and uh, been involved in so much in rap history. And one thing that I hadn't seen much talk about, if ever, was kind of like on the early Ruthless Records, the Straight Outta Compton and the Easy Does It era records, that you and Dre in particular did a lot of back and forth and a lot of harmonizing type of stuff. Right. And to me, when I heard it the first time, hearing it back in like 88, 89, I was thinking like the Cold Crush, the Treacherous Three, those type of things. Right, right. So... Was that the inspiration? Was there other reasons that you guys did it like that? I mean, we, uh, you know, Red DMC, they did it like right. that. And, um, you know, I remember one time we was in the studio. We put on Wild Style, okay. that movie Wild Style. Mm -hmm. And they did a lot of that stuff in Wild Style. We tried to do that stuff in the studio. And uh, that's what came out. Hmm. Yeah. So when you, um, like Compton's in the house in particular, and obviously you had the remix for that, with, the, with that record in particular, did you notice when you guys would perform it or or uh, be out on the road? Did did that record seem to get a different type of reaction because of the way you guys were flowing and performing it? Nah, man. I mean, we, the beat was like the main thing, you know, that beat. But right. when, when that was like, we took that from EPMD. Mm -hmm. I think you were customer, customer. the yeah. same beat. So, you know, everybody was listening to the beat. They wasn't tripping off of how we were saying around it. But, uh, and it was dope, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It was dope. And then... Um, Going as rap has evolved uh, with Stroud Compton and Easy Does It in particular, what do you notice about how you were writing yourself then versus how you either write now or how you see other artists write? I mean, back then, man, I was like a rookie. You know what I mean? Like writing. You know what I mean? Like in the times, all those records back then, everybody loved them records, but I feel like I could write better now. Mm -hmm. But people don't care about now, you know what I mean? They like, man, we don't want to, we don't care about now, you know what I mean? They like look at them records like, you can't top that, blah, blah, blah. But to me, I feel like, you know, I'm matured in my writing, the delivery, the styles, everything. You know, back then it was just, I thought I was good. But to me, if I wrote around the days, to me, it's, it would be better. And what, uh, how do you think you've grown as a person, because that's obviously been 20 years. Yeah, the same way like when people play instruments, you know what I mean? Like 
if I same way if I played a guitar back then and I've been playing all them years to now, I would be way better. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? But if I made hits back then that everybody loved, and I try to make them like way, you know, make a hit 20 years later, they still gonna be like stuff 20 years ago. You know what I mean? It's like when you go to a, like me, myself, like if I hear like Earth, Wind and Fire, do some new music, I don't want to hear the new music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you want to hear the hits right. that they put out back in the day that you grew up listening to. Same way. Okay. But you know, I guess, and I'm sure to them, they feel like we better now, but you know, people don't get over that. Right. Now, that being said, uh, throughout your career too, um, you had a lot of prominent solo releases. So uh, one thing that Easy did and that Ruthless did and that you obviously were a part of was the whole EP phenomenon. Right. So why, how and why did you guys do EPs and, and why with the Kiss My Black Ass was that the first thing that you did was an EP? The reason I did an EP first was because it would be quicker okay. than doing a whole album. And I was like, man, I don't feel like, you know, Cause back then it seemed like it took forever to do albums. Right. I was like, man, I want to hurry and put something out right now. So that's what I did. Quick EP, just get it in, and get it out. And then what? What made uh, that something that easy was so into? I have no idea, man. <laughs> Probably the same reason I wanted to put mine out. You know what I mean? Okay. Just because fast is less time. You know what I mean? Less time, less money, and um, just put it out quick. Mm -hmm. And then um, you also were the one that, even though uh, there were always, you know, there had been people leaving with whether it was Arabian Prince or Cube or Dre, you right. stayed with Easy like for the longest period of time and everything. Right. But you also had more of a relationship with him before the music. Right. So why why did you stay longer than everybody else? I mean, because I stayed longer, man, because I felt like. It was the best place for me to do my music, you know what I mean? And uh, I didn't want to go nowhere else because I didn't want to have to build no new relationships with no labels and them trying to tell me what I can and can't do. With Eric, it was like, do what you want to do, you know what I mean? And I just always had the idea in my head, like, everything would get better, like, the whole situation, you know what I mean? Like, money, everything, like, it would get better, you know what I mean? Like. That's why I said. And did you feel the same way after you passed? Because obviously you stayed on Ruthless after uh, you had died. So right. is that the same philosophy you carried over there? I mean, yeah, I stayed. You know, they offered me more money. And yeah, I stayed on, you know. Okay. And then uh, another thing that I always thought, uh, getting to know you over the years, that I thought was interesting, getting to know, you know, Cube and Dre and to a lesser degree, Yella. Like, how... How did you guys really resolve, like going from being friends, being together all the time, working together, to really dissing each other really hard, and then coming back and working together and being friends? Because those were obviously very personal, very right. heated exchanges. Right. So right. how did you guys move past that when you did move past it? I mean, yeah, that's crazy. But when we got back together, it's like really we didn't even talk about it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't like we was in a room like, man, you said this, and nah, but you said that. It was like, we just didn't talk about it. Hmm. It's just nobody talked about it. It was like, yo, let's get back together and do this. And when we got back together, it was just like, we just went there and did it. Nobody brought up the past. Okay. You know, it's like a, 
family argument with everybody throwing stuff, fighting, and then the next day, it's like we all going out to kick it or something nobody mentioned the day before. So that's how it went down. We just never really, you know, tripped off of it. And was there, because uh, obviously everybody was slanging disses uh, back and forth, was there one that you said that you particularly liked or one that someone said about you that you thought was particularly good? Um, Q's was good. I ain't gonna lie. His was good. His was good. But we <laughs> never got it. We never get yeah, We never got a chance to do a whole record. See, he did a whole record. <laughs> we didn't even do a whole record. We had like a big You were slicing them in though. You had a wasn't there something you had something there. Nah, I didn't. Nah, nah. Dre had one line. Talking to your bitch on shit. That's Dre said that. I'm saying you as in NWA. But yeah, I didn't, that's Dre said that. That wasn't like no record. We didn't do a record. Like, you think back, we didn't do a whole record. Right, right, right. We, because we broke up, you know, after his record, we broke, our group was breaking up all the way. So we never did a record. It was just like a commercial or something like that. So why did you do it that way? The commercial? No, why not do a record? I don't know, man. That's a big question. We never was like, had, we never was like, we're going to do a record on. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we was doing Niggas for Life album. And um, Drake, you know, came up with the idea to do a commercial, like mm-hmm. a skit or whatever. Right. And he did that skit or whatever, and that was it. But it was like, nah, we wasn't in there like, we're going to do a diss record. You know what I mean? So. Gotcha. And then once, uh, NWA did break up for you, you know, what personally did you feel about it? Do you think it was just you saw it happening or was it like <clears throat> a surprise after, especially after Q left, like it really breaking up for real? Yeah, but, uh, you know, after Q left, it was like, you know, did 100 miles and running. You know, everybody was like, you know, wondering could we still do a record or whatever without mm-hmm. Q. 100 Miles of Running was all right, but when we did Niggas for Life, it was like, yeah, they could do an album without them. But after, shortly after that, that's when it, when Dre left, that was it. Mm-hmm. And I knew when Dre left, you know, we can't do a record without Dre. Right. You feel what I'm saying? And, and he, he wanted to bring in like other producers to try to, and I was like, man, that's not going to work. <laughs> nah, you know what I mean? It, it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't gonna work because if you got NWA, you need Dre doing the beats. Right. You know, and the production gotta be up here. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't gonna work. So obviously with the Life album, the thing that I thought was amazing about it was it's the first rap album to hit number one. Yeah. So for you, uh when that happened, did that mean anything to you? Or now when you look back, do you think of it? Uh, in a special or different type of way, seeing how now they make such a big deal about number one albums and and the fact that it was independent, it was a gangster rap record, you guys did it, and it was after Cube. There was so much going on for it to be the first one. Well, back then, you know, it felt good, man. Um, but I back then everything was moving so fast. It's like everything moving so fast. You didn't get a chance to really suck it up and let it sink in. You know what I mean, like. For real. And I try to tell people that they don't get what I'm saying, but it was just like everything was moving so fast in that short amount of time. It, it didn't sink in and how big that was back then. Hmm. 
So the thing is, uh, when you guys were doing the second record, it seemed like everything had been like taken up a notch. Right. As far as like it was more violent, more stuff about sex, more explicit stuff about sex, and everything. So like, was that a direct response to Cube leaving, or was that something you guys had been planning to do? For it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't because of Cube leaving. It was more like all the flat we was getting from everybody else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like so. You know, you got this group uh, protesting. You got these people talking this, talking that. So we like, shit, let's make them more mad. It's, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how we was thinking. Like, let's give them something really just be mad about. So we don't talk about this and we don't do it like that. Right. And then um, with Easy Does It, there's like the whole Bootsy Collins element yeah. running through. And I, I don't think that people talk about that or understand it a lot, but what was it about Bootsy Collins with Dre and E or, or you as well that made him kind of like a unofficial inspiration for a lot of you guys material? I mean, Bootsy was dope, you know what I mean? So, and Dre and, uh, and E, they love Bootsy, you know what I mean? And Parliament and all of that. So they was heavy into it. So they just, you know, put it in with our stuff and flew, you know what I mean? Like merged it in with the stuff we was doing. It's kind of I like that because if you listen to niggas for life, it's like a lot of little stuff from Parliament. Yeah, yeah. You know, all up in there. So, yeah, I mean, they dope. Boosie's still dope. I still listen to Boosie on record. Absolutely. And um, kind of speaking of that, the movement with Ruthless, one thing that I always think is so amazing is like people don't understand or appreciate like the diversity of the type of artists having Michelle A with the R&B. Right. You know, obviously having the Black Eyed Peas label with the Bang Clan, having Bone being so successful. Above the Law. Above the Law, DOC, DLC. Yolo Malky. There's, yeah. there's so many. Yeah. So with that, yourself, of course. Right. But that being said, what was it about how Easy operated the label that enabled him to get all these different artists, J.J. Fad, yeah, from J. J. So, so many different types of rap or different types of music in general? and be successful with so many of them at basically the same time. Man, he he knew how to pick talent. You know what I mean? Like, to me, he just knew, like, if he liked something, some, it had something to it. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't no lyricist. Like, he couldn't write rhymes and all of that, but he could pick artists. And if he, if he saw something in him, it, was, it had to be something. You know what I mean? Because everybody down there that he picked, end up doing something. Right. You know what I mean? So he had a talent in picking artists. So since you mentioned the, the lyrics thing, there's two things that I've always been curious as to why do you think, obviously Dre didn't write all his lyrics either, but no. why do you think that people never really, it didn't matter to people as much about Easy or Dre or whoever not writing their lyrics, whereas with other people, it's such a big deal? I think, man, because it was just so tight. That's the, that's the only reason I could I could give you is because it just it was so tight and they and he did it so good it sounded like he, he wrote it mm-hmm. you know what I mean it sounded like he wrote it he had that distinctive voice the beats was tight and it just nobody really tripped off and they knew people knew he didn't write them so but they still didn't trip off of it but nowadays you know if you don't write your rhyme you get toe up you know what I mean right. you get criticized even back then. But it's for some reason they didn't criticize him or Dre. 
And it's interesting too because I remember, especially when the movie Straight Out Compton came out and they had this scene of him trying to learn how to rap boys in the hood or whatever. Right. But I also remember as a kid, especially like with Easier Said Than Done, when he says, yo, I don't do dope, but I'm dope, not a dope, but I'm doper than anybody who tries to cope. I remember when I heard that, I was like, yo, that's amazing how he flowed with it and the words. Like to me, it didn't matter whether he wrote it or not because of how he flowed. But what's crazy about that song too, Dre had a lot of people write, but Dre wrote that record. The, the lyrics on all of it? No, not that. The lyric, all the lyrics on that song. Oh yeah. Easier said than done. Dre wrote the lyrics, man. Hmm. And what? Uh, <laughs> we'll go ahead. No, that line you just said it just made me think like Dre wrote that. So when? Uh, so what? What? What did you see differently from Dre when he was focusing on writing versus focusing on the music? Um, the music. He he like a beast, man. He like so serious when he's doing the music, like when he's doing the tracks and all of that. It's like when when he writing, it's like he would have other people write for him, and sometimes he would, you know, just pick up the pen and write. Like he wouldn't be like as serious as he would just doing the tracks. Like doing the tracks, he gonna be serious as hell. You know what I mean? Like damn near, like he's sinking into the music. Like, you know what I mean? With writing, he, he rarely would do that. He rarely would write back in the day. He would either have, uh, I would write his stuff, Q would write something, or, or Doc would write his stuff. Right. He rarely picked up a pen like, and wrote. And with uh, with Doc in particular, too, obviously, he had a, a integral role in a, a lot of stuff. So why why do you think he worked so well with you guys? Um, shit, I think he worked well because he had them, Dre giving him the beats to write to. You know what I mean? <laughs> that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, the beats was dope. And that, you know, he was, and Doc could write his ass off too. Right. You know what I mean? Like everything he wrote, and he got his own little style. Like if you listen to certain things, like that, that Dre, that he wrote for Dre or he wrote for E, you could tell Doc wrote that. Like I could tell. Like Doc wrote that, like he got his own little style. So I think it was easy for him to write, man. When you get them Drake beats, and it's just easy. <laughs> I mean, it, for real, it's easy. Mm -hmm. it's easy. And so for you also being that working with Dre in in the eighties, but then going and uh, being on the two thousand one album, like how did you see the evolution of how he worked uh, back then up until like that era of what he was doing? I mean, it's, it's the same way. He was like the same way, same way, like serious. Like he got the best ears. And I used to say this back in the day. He got the best ears in the game. Like he, to me, back in the day when we was doing our records, I used to say he could work with any artist, not just hip hop. He could do R and B, jazz. He could produce anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, his ears is that good, man. And so per, I remember uh when Colors came out, mm -hmm. it was some rock group on the on the soundtrack that got him to mix their record. And this was like when Colors. Yeah, 88. You know what I mean? They <laughs> wanted him and he went in there. I can't remember the name of the group. It was some rock group, okay. a white rock group. He mixed their they record that was on the Colors soundtrack. I mean, his ears is like, I used to say whoever, whatever, like if you had an artist that played out, I used to say he could bring him back if he go in the studio. 
I'm not. I'm serious. Right. I'm dead serious, man. That dude ears is incredible. The same way when he produced Michelle A. record. Right. He had never produced no R and B record, but he made her record. So that being said, with even with JJ Fad, because it was the Dre remix that really made it blow up, obviously. So what were you around when that was happening? Yeah. So what what happened, you know, from the original version because it was Arabian Prince and, right. and Train, right? Right. So then going from that version to Well, it wasn't even Train. Train didn't produce money. Oh, no, he was just on it. He just scratched on okay. that nose. But you know what? I think the, even the scratch on there, that could have been Drake. Okay. You know, they could just say Train, but that was Drake <laughs> that did the little in the studio. Right. Train was dope, but that little scratch, that was just little simple scratch right gotcha 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 but what what did you you remember anything that was so different about that record that enabled it to happen to the jj fab record i mean at that time you had salt and pepper was out right herbie love bug so that was like Dre's biggest you know the only producer out at that time you had hank shockey was out too bomb squad but Mm. When he went in and did J.J. Fowl, I think he was more like he was looking at what Herbie Lovebug was doing okay. with Salt and Pepper. Gotcha. And he did his thing with them. And he wrote a lot on that stuff, too. So. Gotcha. Oh, you mean Herbie was Salt and Pepper? No, oh, Drake. Drake was J.J. Fowl. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. He go in these little modes, man. But what I'm saying is he he could do any, any genre of music he could produce. Yeah. Anything. Definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm convinced he could do anything he can produce anybody okay and then as for yourself um exhibit and i of course had the open bar radio and we had you on there a couple different times but yeah the work with esk with the burn radio burn and yeah. everything so for you musically uh what are you working on right now well right now man i'm kind of like chilling right now you know um the last thing i did i did something with ski it's a song called fear mm-hmm. and me and cube is on right That'll be dropping soon. And uh, I talked to Premier, and me and him are supposed to be cooking up something. Oh, wow. So we'll see how that goes. You know, that'll be a good mix. And I remember Premier said, Do you want me to do like a West Coast beat? I was like, Man, I want a Premier beat. I, you know, I don't want no just regular sign of West Coast beat. I want a Premier beat. I want to try to flip that with my lyrics and do it, man. Okay. You know? And then uh, I know you had also mentioned to me that you're working on a documentary. Yeah, so what's that about? I'm working on a documentary, man, about myself. You know, my my travels through the music game. You know, from <laughs> beginning to end, man. You know, I got a homeboy, my homeboy Tyree uh, Reed, and we are uh, putting it together right now. You know, we laying the blueprints and getting everything up to speed. So hopefully, we start shooting that real soon. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations on that. So looking back, Rem, what do you think made yourself and made NWA so powerful? Well, number one, I think um, the language. You know what I mean? Because back then, a lot of people wasn't cussing like we was cussing on records. You know what I mean? And then uh, what we was talking about, you know, fuck the police. Right. That, you know, straight out of Compton. But I think fuck the police was the, the record that made us so powerful back then. You know what I mean? That was it. <laughs> you know, nobody was saying fuck the police. And uh and you know police brutality how it was back then in the eighties, late eighties, crack game, mid eighties, crack game, how the police were just 
the battery. You know, <laughs> it's fucking with everybody. You right. know what I mean? So that song, and not just in LA, nationwide. You know what yeah. I mean? So that that song, you know, resonated with a lot of people everywhere. So I would say, fuck the police, the language, and um, we just didn't care. It goes a long way. <laughs> and then um, also, I think too, you have uh, obviously Dre and Coop are like iconic outside of music. Right. But I think that as you and I have talked about over the years, like with Outkast giving you shouts out and different people over the years, like shouting you out. What do you? What is it when the other artists talk to you that they say that they really liked about you? They tell me I'm one of their favorites. You know what I mean? Uh, so it should feel good. You know what I mean? When it comes from your peers, mm-hmm. it feel good. When it comes from like top MCs in the game, that, that really feel good. You know what I mean? And you get you get mentioned by people like Andre Three Thousand, who was dope. You know, absolutely dope as hell. And um. Whenever I go out, if I'm out somewhere, I can do a show and we run into people that's in the game, they like, yo, Ren, man, you know. And I'm talking about like top MCs or whatever. They like, yo, your shit was dope. And that just that made me feel good. Because they could just be like, your shit was whack, you know what I mean? <laughs> or you know, not even say nothing at all, you know what I mean? Right. But when you get enough of the like dope MCs coming up to you telling you like, man, you was formed back on them records and blah, blah, blah. That's a good feeling. Well, there it is. Yeah. All right, Ren, well, appreciate it, man. As always, yeah. I'm Swan Baker here on Unique Access and C. Ren, the villain. All right, well, thanks for tuning in to Unique Access with Soren Baker. I appreciate your guys' support. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and however you guys checked out this episode of Unique Access with Soren Baker. Also, if you haven't already, please pick up the copies of my two most recent books, The History of Gangster Rap, and the Gucci Man Guide to Greatness with Gucci Man. You can find both of those books on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at the independent bookstore near you. And of course, you could also check them out at your library. And if any of those places don't have them, please request them. And most importantly, thank you so much for listening to Unique Access with Soren Baker, however you listen to us. And please subscribe so we get into your feed. Hit us with that like and hit us with the five stars, 10 stars, 100 stars, whatever's the highest they got on this platform. But we appreciate your guys' support and look forward to you checking us out on the next episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. 
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 